welcome to another edition of your favorite wrestling movie mashup podcast, Slam Dango. This is your host, Sean Petrowski, and with me as always is my PIC, Craig Savitsky. How you doing, Craig? Hey, Sean. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Glad to hear it, Craig. So tonight we are reviewing a film from 2011 called Inside Out, not to be confused with the Pixar movie of the same name. Uh, we couldn't have two diametrically uh, opposite films in the Pixar version and this one. Uh, starring Triple H, this is our second Triple H film, so we've done two movies with John Cena, two movies with jo- uh, Triple H. So we're going to, Craig, it seems like we're going to start hitting into some repeat territory where our, some of our favorite um, wrestlers are going to be repeating uh, their starring roles in some of these movies. So to those of you that are jumping in on Slam Dango here with this for this episode for the first time, uh, typically we do a sort of a synopsis of who the wrestler is in the film, what their character like is what their character is like in the world of wrestling. And uh, Craig and I usually dive in and have some personal memories and thoughts about that about that wrestler. So in the case of Triple H, this is our second film uh, with him. We're, we are not going to do that typical review. So if, if, if you're diving in, you have no clue who Triple H is, I'd strongly recommend you check out our first Triple H episode, which was the movie called The Chaperone, which was a film that Craig really, really loved. Which and... was way better than this movie. I'll tell you that right now. Out the gate, Craig is uh, letting everyone know how he feels about Inside Out. Um, <laughs> so since we don't have to let everybody know who Triple H is again, let's dive right into it, Craig. Boom. Let's, let's get it. into it. So, Inside Out opens with Triple H sleeping in a bed with Parker Posey. His long, flowing... I will say, almost Samson-like hair. It um, is Samson-like. He's a very Samson-like character. Yes, I think uh, there are some interesting parallels between the biblical character of Samson and Triple H in this film. And hopefully we will uh, dive into it a little bit more as we talk about the rest of this movie. Uh, Triple H is awakened out of bed. And he gets out of bed and is immediately shot. So right out the gate, Craig, this is one of those movies where we are seeing an event that happens in the future. And then we are rolling back to a point in time to begin the tale. So in this case, we're going back six days earlier. So Triple H. I gotta say, I feel like when I first saw this, I was very confused. I was like, wait, he just got shot and now he's in jail? What's going on? Like, it yeah. didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm with you with that. It was, it was a little jarring. He's, you know, he's sleeping in bed with Parker Posey. Everything seems to be going. He gets out of bed, is shot, and then all of a sudden we find out he's getting out of jail. So, uh, And it's only six days before. So clearly whatever, whatever it is that we're about to watch, over these next six six days of Triple H's character's life, there's gonna be some some hard living that goes on. As I like to say, <laughs> I, I I also have a question for you, Sean, right off the bat. 
Do you have any idea why this movie is called Inside Out? You know, that's a good, good question. And it's really kind of funny to me that you asked that because uh, this was the first movie that Crystal, my wife, uh, watched with me. She made a point of saying, like, listen, this cast, I know all these people. These are all people that I love. Uh, I really want to see what this movie's about. So we watched it together. Oh, Crystal, I'm sorry. And <laughs> that was actually a question. Like, so her and I kind of had like a debrief on the movie after it was over. And that was a question that I asked her was, why do you think that this was called Inside Out? And at the time that we discussed it, I didn't have an answer. But I've been thinking about it since then because I watched this movie last week. So I've been kind of been marinating on this for almost almost seven days now. Ugh. And I think what they're trying to say is, is Triple H, actually no, I take that back. It's not Triple H. Michael Rappaport's character begins on the inside and then ends up on the outside. And I don't want to say anything more than that, Craig, because I think that it'll ruin a lot of the plot of this movie Ugh, up front. Really? I guess, but that's dumb. I don't know. Or it could be related to Triple H being on inside a prison and then out of prison. Uh, I mean, that's a little literal, but... It's I think... a literal, literal, and it doesn't really make sense because he's in jail for about eight seconds of the movie. That's true. Um, but it is a big question. I had one of the first questions I had at the end of this film. So I appreciate you asking that question because it's <laughs> it's it's one that I had and I don't know that I would have remembered to bring that up in our conversation today. The uh, listeners can really tell that we don't we make a point not to talk about these movies in between podcasts while we're while we're being friends and, and talking. That's because uh, we want to surprise each other. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> I guess we're kind of following that Howard Stern show mantra of how Howard and Robin didn't speak to each other uh, outside of the show. Uh, well, we talk. We just don't talk about these movies. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, <laughs> so we, we are going back to the six days later, uh, six days earlier thing. We see Triple H getting off of a prison bus, and we see his uh, what appears to be his friend, played by Michael Rappaport, picking him up. Which is weird, because typically we've seen a hundred movies, and in fact, we've seen it in, in, in The Chaperone, in fact. When somebody gets out of prison, usually they're just let out of prison. You know, the gate it just opens up and they're out of prison. And here is a, is a bus stop. It was like a Louisiana bus stop, prison bus stop. Where all Which the prisoners... I actually think is more uh, accurate. It, like I think like if someone doesn't come to the prison to pick you up, I think they give you money to get on a bus. And you yeah, but this go was, this, was a pri- this was a prison system bus though, Craig. It wasn't like a Greyhound. Yeah, that was weird. That was yeah. definitely weird. So, um, Michael Rappaport and Triple H reconnect outside the bus, and we learn that Michael Rappaport. So, uh, we still don't know his name, but we learn Triple H's character's name is AJ. Um, we learn that AJ credits Michael Rappaport's friendship. For keeping him in lo- keeping him alive in prison for the past thirteen years. Wait, Sean, Sean, I have to stop you here for a sec. Yeah, are we just going to totally dismiss the whole opening voiceover by Michael Rappaport, which is bananas insane? And then he it peels back and he's talking to a dog. <sighs> wow, <laughs> I, I was ready to gloss over it. Uh, you, so why don't you? 
why don't you enlighten to everyone that has not watched the film about this about this moment in the in the movie? I don't even know. He's talking. He, all right, so he has. There's an opening monologue where they're showing, uh, like where they're essentially like showing Triple H get out of prison and get on the bus and whatever else, and while he's riding around, and it's Michael Rapport talking, and he's talking about, I guess, kind of AJ and how he's had a hard life, and he's kind of like you know doing a little bit of an exposition about how. Uh, he is now married to AJ's uh, former girlfriend, and how, is he a jerk or not? And he says the line, "Jesus died so we could all be assholes," uh, which I thought didn't make any sense. Like it just doesn't. Like none of it really makes sense. And then uh, it peels back, and you think, "Oh, is, he's going to be talking to someone, kind of explaining that he's waiting for his friend." Uh, but no, he's talking to a dog. Uh, and then. He's also dressed really weirdly. He's he's wearing a sports jacket and then a Super Bowl. That Super Bowl t-shirt was driving me crazy. It was so weird. It wasn't even like for a team. It was just like Super Bowl 42. Like, yes. it was just dumb. It was just dumb. Uh, it, like, it just started off the movie on a terrible, like, foot. Like, one, oh, it's Michael Rappaport. Like, cool, Michael Rappaport's awesome. But this opening monologue is terrible. And then he says weird things, and then he's just talking to a dog who's licking himself. Um, and then he's wearing this sports jacket with a, like advertising for the Super Bowl underneath it, which still makes no sense. And you're like, oh, okay, this is great. Um, but they're in New Orleans again, which is a theme of some of these WWE movies. New, like they're in Louisiana or New Orleans or some other part of Louisiana. This was more like outside of New Orleans. Yeah, like suburban, um, probably suburban. Uh... Although that bar that they go to eventually, uh, when they're in, when they are in town, like definitely looks like it's in New Orleans, like French Quarter style. Yeah, it had yeah. that architectural style for sure. Yeah, um, but uh, I think yeah, we should that... point out too, Craig, that I think we kind of you kind of touched on it a little bit. Michael Rappaport is kind of the narrator of this film. Like, the, he, yeah. is the, he is the... Let's not be fooled here. This is clearly a film that's a, a Triple H vehicle here. But Michael Rappaport is the main character of the film. It is his story to tell. Kinda. He's, he's, yeah, it's a story about him mostly because everything he does is what drives the story. And Triple H is kind of along for the ride. But you're supposed to think that Triple H is like the main character hero guy. Um, it's weird. It's like a weird setup where like, it's definitely Michael Rappaport's story. He's driving everything that happens in the movie, but it's focused on triple H. Right. So, uh, as you mentioned, my next note also, Craig, was that the fact that this takes place in Louisiana. So you and I were in sync every once in a while. You and I have a note on our notes that syncs it syncs up exactly. This is another one of those. Yeah, I think the last one was about prodigy. Yes, it was from that Prodigy. <laughs> Sadly, no Prodigy in this film. Also, no shitty new metal in this movie. Also, by the way, I want to point out. No, not uh, a, a lot of music that I remember from this no, movie. No, very, very light on the music. This is definitely the lightest of all the movies that we've watched. It's generally movies. based on their musical picks. I take that as a positive. Sure, I agree. Uh, 100%. <laughs> we don't have to hear any, like, uh, Seven Dust. No. Or, or Creed or Nickelback, so we're good. We're yeah, good to go. good. Yeah. So as you mentioned, um, Michael Rappaport is now married to AJ's ex-girlfriend. And they have a child together, uh, and they're living the life. And that's basically what happened. You know, basically when Triple H, AJ, went to prison, 
they had a chance to start a life together. Um, you know, yeah. because they were both really bummed out that AJ went to prison. Um, oh, and let's and let's be clear: AJ went to prison for thirteen years. Yeah, that's a long ass time. That's longer than uh, Triple H's character went to prison in the in the chaperone. Is that, right? Wait. By the way, there are a lot of parallels between this and the chaperone. Uh, Triple the, H is an ex-con, and they're in New Orleans, and some weirdness happens afterwards where he's got to prove himself. Uh, also daddy issues there's also, also daddy, daddy, da- issues. daddy issues abound which we'll, we'll sure. get into um oh, this movie's all about dads right yeah oh that's true it is a running theme um throughout this film and we will be diving into that for sure as we as we we discuss the plot so uh we kind of then we're, we're in a conversation now with with triple h and michael rapaport and we kind of figure out that michael rapaport not necessarily an honest an honest worker. He's in the crime game. We figure that out. Triple H was in the crime game before he went to prison. We can kind of tell that he went to prison for some kind of screw up that happened in their criminal dealings. Uh, and he emphatically states to Michael Rapaport, he's done with the criminal life, just like in The Chaperone, and that he wants to be on the straight and narrow. And he says that he just wants to start a business making pickles. Yeah, uh-huh. he started making pickles in prison, and that's his thing. And that, like, is a thing throughout the movie, again, that I think they thought would be funny, not funny. I don't know that they thought it was... I don't... I'm, I'm not I'm not of the mindset that they were trying to use that as a source of comedic relief. I, I think they just kind of wanted it to be... I don't know if you think about it, Craig. I don't know how tapped into the pickle world you are, but, like, artisanal pickles are, is, like, a huge thing right now. And oh, oh. I live in Brooklyn. I certainly know these things. <laughs> yes. So I feel like they might have been ahead of the curve on this. Like they kind of either artisanal pickles started to become a thing in 2011 or somebody who um, is involved in the writing of the film or production of the film maybe was involved in the world of artisanal pickles. I, I think that was kind of just a little bit of a, <laughs> it a life. Just, in, life it was art just a funny choice. Life. It's just yeah, funny very, and very bizarre. But I kind of like, like this first mention, I thought he was making a joke here like, you know, I just want to make pickles. But as you go through the film, like, you learn how serious he is about the world of pickle making. It was uh, probably my favorite part of the movie, to be honest, is that he just he just wants to make pickles. Yeah, I, I, I think what you're trying to say is it's kind of, it's one of my favorite character traits for Triple H's character. Uh, it wasn't necessarily well, yeah, they, my like, favorite part of the movie. As, as, we go through, as, you, as we go through, you'll see that they weave it in like as many places as they can. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like shoehorned because it always kind of connects to what's no, going no, on. No, no, it's story. like it, it does provide like a weird in a weird way it does provide like a a good story arc and a good like through line to all the different parts of his life in these 6 days out of prison, but it's just a strange choice, but it it works. It's yeah. just it's just weird. So uh, here are my notes. Uh, I finally have what Michael Rapaport's character's name is. It's Jack. So we have Jack, AJ, and Claire. So yes. Jack is Michael Rapaport, AJ is Triple H, and Claire is Parker Posey. Yes. Jack and Claire are married. AJ used to date Claire back before he went to prison. Mm-hmm. And Jack and Claire have a daughter together named Pepper. Yes, her name is Pepper. Right. And so they go back to uh, Jack and Claire's house where she is expecting Triple H She's making a big dinner for him, uh, and while that's going on, AJ he sets up shop in their house. He's he's gonna stay with them for a while to get get himself on his feet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he goes into the the extra bedroom. He gets the sheets made up, right? He, he like the bed was all made up for him, and he was like, "Fuck this," and he like made his sheets. I guess it was like prison style almost. Yeah, like like hospital corners, like very military prison style. Right, you know, like which was like kind of an be... interesting detail. You know what I mean? Like not a yeah. detail you would expect in this film, but it goes to show you like, um, you know, like in the movie Heat. I don't know if you know this, Craig, but in the movie Heat, uh, the, the Al Pacino, Robert De Niro movie that you and I love and was a big part of our collegiate uh, movie watching days. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, all, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but all of Robert De Niro's shirt collars in that movie are starched, um, which is, for, I actually read about this, was actually a choice made by Michael Mann because uh, typically when you are in prison, your prison jumpsuit, if it has a collar, the collar is starched. Oh, so okay. it was kind of uh, Robert De Niro's, like it was the only thing Robert De Niro knew as a so, you know, somebody went to prison for a long period of time. Okay. Uh, so I kind of saw this as a sort of a, in the same vein as that. Kind of like, you know, something you see in a Michael Mann movie, and now you're seeing it here in Inside Out, which is the opposite of a Michael Mann movie. Uh, but a nice nice detail nonetheless. Yeah, and I picked up on it, and I thought it was... um, It was a quick little detail, but I thought it was good, and it was kind of like a nice little comment on, like, he's definitely going to get gonna take some getting used to being out of prison absolutely yeah so uh the next morning uh aj and jack go to see jack's father whose name is vic who's played by bruce stern so i have a very specific thing i want to talk about with this scene but really quickly i want to go back to the car ride um when uh jack picks aj up yes uh and they're driving in the car and uh Jack wants to have the air conditioning on and uh, AJ says, nope, I want to have the windows down. I haven't had the wind. I haven't had wind on me in 13 years. Um, And then it proceeds like a five minute scene where (laughs) Jack just talks about how much his balls are sweating. (laughs) Yes. Like over and over again to where he says the term crotch rot. (laughs) It was at this point in the movie where Crystal said to me that, she felt like she was listening to Michael Rappaport calling into the Stern show when they do their fantasy football, uh, which I, I know you don't listen to the Stern show, Craig, but that's like been Not a thing for the years. past couple of years where Michael Rappaport apart, participates in the office fantasy football league and then calls in every week and proceeds to talk tremendous amounts of trash about everybody on the, on the show that's in the football league with him. Yeah. And she said that this was reminding her so much of that. So It was uh, just like a legitimately two to three minute scene about his balls. It was weird. Like, and I was just like, oh, okay, this is where we're going. Great. Okay, sorry. Back to the uh, yes. back to meeting Jack's dad because this is quite possibly my, not maybe not my favorite, but the most confused I've been watching a WWE movie yet. Right. So lots of I, layers here in this scene. So let's break it down. Yeah. So like I said, Bruce Dern, first of all, Bruce Dern, let's, let's, let's talk about Bruce Dern. Yeah, guys, Father... guys, don't, don't take it for granted. This movie has Michael Rappaport, Parker Posey, and Bruce Dern in a movie with triple H that I have no idea how they got, they must like, like I actually wrote a note that says Parker Posey must have lost a bet on the set of blade Trinity to be in this movie. Because I have no idea why they're in this movie. It's all. it is amazing. Again, the casting in this film, and you're forgetting Michael Cudlitz, Craig. I know you. I don't know if you're a big Walking Dead fan, but 
Michael right. Cudlitz, one of the great one of the great additions to the Walking Dead cast uh, this past couple of seasons, and is in this you're film right, as well. Right. Um, you know, uh, this cast is amazing. Like on paper, and I think you and I even I said this to you before. On paper, this is it uh, a tour de force cast. This is up yeah. there with Ocean's Eleven. Like you know, in Ocean's Eleven, you got fucking. Uh, you got George Clooney, you got Brad Pitt, you got Matt Damon. I mean, you got every heavy hitter. You got some fucking heavy hitters in this film. No joke. Yeah, you no, got heavy I, hitters. I really like Michael Rappaport. I really like Parker Posey. Bruce Dern is classic. I just, it, I, I think maybe that's part of why I don't like this movie is that I saw who everybody that was in it. And I was like, yes. And then I saw the movie and I was like, oh no. Oh no, what happened? Yeah, it's also important to point out here that like Bruce Dern is going through a renaissance right now because of that film he made like two years ago called Nebraska with mm-hmm, uh, sure. with Will Forte. Um, so I don't know that Bruce Dern was necessarily in demand in 2011. Uh, no, probably not. But he's still a great actor. Absolutely, he's definitely been in incredible films. Yeah. So the thing here, you gotta, you gotta. There's a lot to unpack. Bruce Dern is appears to be a veterinarian that they yes. have to go visit and they visit him in his back office. But as they're walking to the back office, they're walking through what appears to be like a puppy mill situation. There's yeah. Just... It's like a, yeah, it's like a, it looks like a kennel slash vet office uh, where he's got a back office that he runs his criminal enterprise out of. Right. Where he has an Eastern European woman whose name I can't remember. She uh, who doesn't speak, doesn't speak. And she's weird. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, Vic is the criminal, he is the Tony Soprano of this crime syndicate in Louisiana. Uh, and he was the one that AJ and Jack work for Jack again, being the son of Vic Mm -hmm. Bruce Dern, uh, and AJ went to jail for something that happened, you know, with their criminal enterprise. They apparently, this is a big thing for uh, Jack, was they used to be involved in some real heavy, heavy shit, heavy criminal activity. Yeah, yeah. And now because... All sorts of mob type shit. Right. And because the heat got turned up pretty intensely over the past couple of years while AJ was in prison, they've dialed it back to just importing uh, counterfeit cigarettes and selling them without the tax tax stamps. Right. So they're Uh, making a lot of money, but it's not like a real like... It's not cool. Like... Yeah, no, it's not. It's not, it's not cool. a badass crime life. It's just like they're selling, they're selling bootleg cigarettes without you know around going around the like uh, Louisiana state laws. Right. So this is at the point where they they Vic tells AJ that he wants AJ to take over and handle the illegal cigarette business that's going on because he really doesn't trust Jack. He thinks Jack's a hothead. He's sloppy. Um, oh yeah, and- straight from the get go, Bruce Dern. Makes it very clear that he does not like his son and he thinks he's a fuck-up. Right. Uh, he also makes a point to uh, both AJ and the viewers of this film that Claire, Jack's wife, is the glue that's basically held the entire criminal operation together. The fact that she right, was... Right, because Jack's such a mess, a, a screw-up, he's saying that, that uh, Claire is the one that really helps keep everything together because he can't really trust Jack. Right. So after this meeting, you know, AJ again is emphatic. I'm not. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to participate. I'm. I'm going to go on the straight and narrow. Blah 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 blah. Bruce Bruce Dern really gives him a hard time about it. Uh, after that conversation, wait a Jack- minute though. I, this is this is where he, there is a, there's a line in this conversation uh, that is confusing. So confusing to me. I rewound it 
three to four times, and I put the uh, closed captioning on to make sure that I was writing it down properly. Bruce Dern is making a little bit of a like welcome back out of prison joke with AJ mm-hmm. and uh, Vic. I'm sorry, I keep saying Bruce Dern. His character name is Vic. Um, and he says to AJ, it would remind me every time I took one up your butt. <laughs> what? I totally yeah, missed that. That's a real sentence. It would remind me every time I took one up your butt. I don't know what that means. It doesn't really make any sense. What I think he was trying to say is it would remind you every time you took one up the butt in jail. But he just, like, all the pronouns are wrong. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And that's, like, pretty much the level of the script of this movie. It's just the sentences like that where you're like, wait, what? That wh- What is that? Like, that's not even uh, per- English. Like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah, I, I totally, again, that, that totally glossed over me. So yeah. I'm, No, I, I rewound it three times to make sure I heard it right, and I put on the closed caption because I was like, that can't be what he said. Well, kudos for you for picking up on that. Uh, so at this point, Jack and AJ then say that they're going to go see their old friend Carlo uh, because Jack has meeting somebody there for a business deal. Um, as I said before, they, uh, you know, Vic is really pushing for AJ Jack is also pushing for AJ to get back into the crime life. AJ is, is fighting both of them at, at all at all turns and just saying, listen, I want to be legitimate. I don't want to get back into this. So Yeah, um, I mean, and this is where you start to see that Jack is a jerk. Yeah, this is like, where this is definitely where the, the cracks start to show. Like You're he right. just keeps looping AJ into criminal shit that he doesn't want to be involved in. Like, he's like, hey, just come say hello to Carlo for me. He's been waiting for you to get out. Carlo's just a guy that owns a bar. He's not a criminal. Um, and he's not. So, they like, but he doesn't tell AJ that they're having this, that he's having this meeting there with this guy. And it's right, like, the... all right, he's asking you, please, I literally got out of prison yesterday. I don't want to do this. And he's already roping him into these meetings. Right, and they're going to meet a guy named Sylvester who's there to provide payment for uh, a shipment of these illegal cigarettes. Um, he's a real sweaty idiot. Yeah. Well, it's because it seems like, well, we'll find out why he's a sweaty idiot, but for sure, he's got all of his money. He's a guy that they've done business with multiple times. They've had, you know, he was a little late on the payment this time. It sounded like, but he paid up in full, yeah. which is something you never see happen in a movie. This guy had all of his money. And, Jack takes the payment and he starts dicking around with him, like, uh, you know, giving him, busting his balls. And while that goes on, and I right here, in typical Michael Rappaport character fashion, he accidentally shoots and kills uh, Sylvester. And Sylvester is now dead, and this now is the first domino to fall uh, in this this film that begins the debacle uh, of of this journey, this criminal journey we're about to go on. Yeah, and of course, AJ has to clean it up. He has to, like, you know, Michael Rappaport has had, like, two drinks before this. He's been, like, drinking out of a bottle of whiskey while he's talking to the guy. And so he's a little drunk, and he's just apologizing and, like, freaking out instead of, like, hey, let's clean this shit up and get this guy out of here. Um, So AJ helps him clean it up. But really, like, you get to see, like, oh, AJ was the brains and the brawn behind this operation. Right. And Jack's just a his like a dummy stooge that's only involved and not dead yet because Vic is his father. Right. 
So we now jump after that scene in the bar. Like you said, AJ is the one taking the bull by the horns with Carlo to clean up the scene. We now jump to a investigation going on at the Louisiana Tax Bureau where there is a woman whose name I never get throughout the whole movie, Craig. So if you know it, that's great. No, I have her written down as Cigarette Woman. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they ever said her actual full name. And um, she's giving a presentation about Vic and how he is now running an illegal cigarette operation and he's uh, bypassing all these Louisiana state taxes. Uh, and that she feels as though they should be investigating him and bring him in on charges. This is where we also find out that Sylvester was actually an informant for the state of Louisiana. And that the money that he got to pay Jack came from this woman in the, the tax bureau. So the fact yeah. that he is now dead is the other thing that's starting to concern her. She has not heard from Sylvester. Uh, so as far well, as she knows, the money is kind of gone. This whole thing is bananas because she's presenting this investigation to her superiors as like, hey, we need to get on this right away. This is what I'm doing. And they're basically like, forget about it. Like Vic, well, this is where we learn a little bit more about Vic too. Vic is, was one of the biggest, toughest, most notorious crime buses in Louisiana. If the cops couldn't catch him for murder, like, what are we doing here? And... She's like, oh, well, that's a problem because I already gave our informant $250,000 to go buy this stuff from. And then they get pissed and they're like, okay, well, we have to follow through with it now. Um, This actress, uh, her name is Julie White. I like her a lot. She's in a million things. Um, She's in, I mean, every kind of TV show you can think of from... Law and Order, SVU, Criminal Intent, Rescue Me, Desperate Housewives, uh, Nurse Jackie, You're the Worst, which is a great show, by the way. Um, she's just in a ton of stuff. I mean, she's in amazing movies, too. Like, she's in a lot of stuff. She's another one of those people that, like, you recognize her, you may not know her name. Uh, I mean, she's, hell, she's in uh, Lincoln and and trans, all the Transformers, or a bunch of the Transformers movies, and... Michael Clayton, like she's a she's a good actor. Oh shit, she was in Michael Clayton. Yeah, she's uh, in Michael Clayton. She's uh, Mrs. Greer. I'm not sure. I don't remember the I don't remember the people's names that much from Michael Clayton, but okay, yeah, she's in like a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, she just like again another one of these like people that you're like, oh, I know her. She's real good. And again, she is super annoying in this movie. Well, I think that's the character that she's supposed to be playing. Um, no, no, I know. Her character is super annoying. She does a fine job. I like her. I think she's good. She does She does what she's supposed to. It's just a, not a great character. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, how did they get her into be this movie into this movie too? Like, in a very, like, supporting role. Yes. So, um, diving back into the, the plot of the story... Um, as Craig just said, the the pe- her superiors, while like they're very reluctant about pursuing the investigation, and then when she admits the two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, came from the, the state of Louisiana and is now missing, they then reluctantly take up the case. Yeah, they she, basically should have tell her, no, this isn't worth our time. Right, which is ridiculous because, and I feel like somebody in the scene makes the comment too about how it was taxes that brought down Al Capone, which is, everybody knows is the is true. Um, so, you know, how else would you get a, a big guy like Vic? You know, you, taxes seems like a logical way to go for it. Um, yeah, exactly. That's how they get all the mobsters. Right. So uh, so she's on the prowl now to go look for Sylvester because she's really worried about him. 
she really she it turns out we find out that you know she really liked him he was an honest guy he was really doing her a solid by uh doing this investigation um you know to try and bring bring vic down at this point we're, we're brought back to jack and aj um they're at a what, what appears to be a junkyard paying off a guy at the junkyard to dispose of uh sylvester's body and yeah to mash it up inside the car that they were leaving there yes i think and um here we start to see another example of what a shitbag Jack is because he refuses to give up the money. AJ was like, "Leave the money in the car, so when the car gets smashed up, nobody's got it. Nobody's got their hands on the money." And right. The so pl- there's no way that anybody could ever trace us back to it. Right. And and Jack refuses to give the money up, uh, and so the car is crushed with the body in the in the junkyard, and Jack takes the money. That money. Uh, Again, we're supposed to be delivered to Jack's father, Vic, in payment for a very large shipment of cigarettes coming in. I think they were coming from China. Yeah, I think it was like a whole, like a full container. Yeah, which is, you think about a whole shipping container of cigarettes, that's a fucking shit ton of cigarettes. Yeah, that's got to be thousands and thousands and thousands of packs of cigarettes. So we now jump back to uh, Jack's house. We see uh, Claire and Pepper. They really are starting to kind of cozy up to AJ in this scene. Um, and uh, Jack has been doing some dr- uh, drinks. I think this is the part of the movie where he's in the hot tub getting drunk and he kind of, <laughs> he, he views through the kitchen window, them just like fawning all over AJ while Claire and AJ are drinking wine and everyone's laughing and he's and, teaching Pepper about pickles. Yeah. And just, you know, if you've ever seen a movie with Michael Rappaport, you know that this is eating up his character inside. Oh, yeah. Um, Michael Rappaport plays the same fucking character in every goddamn movie, and this movie is no different. Uh, yeah, he's a schlubby, boozing loser. That's right. Um, as you said, AJ teaches uh, Pepper and Claire about the art of pickle making. We really dive into that world here. We get a little lesson into what it is that makes a pickle a pickle. Um, and at this point, too, Claire takes a moment to talk to... AJ and confesses to him that things are really bad between her and Jack and that his drinking is out of control. He's, you know, kind of all over the place. He's a mess. Um, so this is our first sign that, you know, we know that Jack is a mess and we know AJ knows that Jack's a mess, but here's the other side of the coin that Claire, his wife also is seeing it also is feeling it. So things are, not good in in the Jack and Claire house at all. Yeah, and she's basically giving him the like, hey man, like my life's barely holding on by a thread as it is. Like I don't need you complicating it more. Right. So we then uh, get to see that the tax lady, the tax investigation lady, it goes to the police department to try and report a murder. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is that nobody's found Sylvester's body yet, so they can't take the case. But this is where we meet Abraham from The Walking Dead, whose name we don't... I don't remember getting his name in this movie either. No, he was good too, though. I liked him. I mean, not not a huge character by any stretch, but they were good. No, yeah, he brought he brought the thunder with what little bit he had. Yeah, um, he was... Uh, let's see. Her name was Martha, and okay. his name was... Oh, he doesn't have a first name. Detective Calgrove. Yeah, I don't remember hearing either of those names one time. No, no, not once. So, uh, we're just going to call him Abraham. Abraham uh, agrees to investigate Sylvester's disappearance because, uh, you know, there's just something about the way that Martha portrays the case 
and the fact that it has something to do with Vic. Yeah, he was, kind he of was involved him. heavily in, 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 the, in Vic's kind of, uh, in investigating Vic way back in the day. Uh, and I think it's one of those things I feel like it never sat right with him that they never got him. Right. Now, one thing that I noticed has been, at this point in the movie, it's been mentioned a couple times already, but this is the first time that I wrote it down. There seems to be a hang-up with AJ seeing his mom. Everybody keeps telling him, AJ, go see your mom. AJ talks about how his mom's in hospice and she's dying. But he, he's got this reluctance to go see her. Um, and this is a, this comes up again shortly after the tax lady uh, touches base with uh, Abraham in the police department. I uh, honestly, this is another part of the movie that I don't like. I don't understand the mom thing at all. It doesn't play out into anything. Yeah, there's no connection to the rest of the story. There's no connection to the rest of the story. It doesn't have, like, a thing at the end where, it, like, he goes and, like, reconnects with her or saves her or whatever. She's just also kind of a jerk. Like, I think, I, I think, yeah, I, I know. think, you know, we're, we're going to get there in a second, Craig, but I think that what, it, what her story does is it reinforces what a shitbag Jack is because her and Jack are kind of the same person. They have oh, the, and sa- like, the same and struggles. Like best friends. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's just a reminder to AJ of like what a fuck up Jack is and what a fuck up his mom is. Yeah. Anyway, so Jack makes the decision that he's going to disappear to Claire's family's cabin for a couple days and th- for let things blow over. Smart call. I was, it was surprised right, because that Jack now made his this dad decision. Is, because now his dad is super pissed because A, the guy's dead. B, he doesn't have his money. He doesn't right. know where the, he doesn't know quite yet that. Jack actually has the money, um, but he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go up to this cabin and 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 blow off some steam for a little bit because my dad wants to kill me, or you know, kind of, like he thinks that his dad might want to go after him, and the cops are now after him." Right. But he goes away. We then are then taken to a scene where Martha, the tax lady, is at a is at a hospice facility visiting her father. Strangely enough, AJ decides that he's going to go finally visit his mom, and it turns out that she's at the same hospice facility. Um, oh, really? And, yeah, they were at the oh. same hospital. I, 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 I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it was the same one. Okay. Um, either way, it's a weird coincidence that both of their parents are in hospice, Craig. Um, Fair enough. So AJ goes to see his mom. They they have a conversation, and then like very quickly, AJ's like, "I'm out, I'm done." Uh, he's like, "I gotta go," and she gets upset. You know, like she ends up taking some booze out of a planter, a planter, and starts drinking, uh, and that's when he makes the decision to leave. AJ then goes and meets. Uh, he's made the decision. Like, listen, I'm gonna try and clean all this up while Jack is away. So he goes to meet with Vic. Vic and him have a very tense conversation about what happened and what went down. Um, AJ is not very is not honest with with what happened, no. but Vic Vic tells him, "You're coming back to work for me this one last time, and you're cleaning all this up." So the the now the burden is on AJ, and AJ says, "All right, I'm going to clean things up for you, but I'm going to do it my way," and that and that is conveyed when Vic hands AJ a gun and basically implying. You know, I want you to kill Jack and whoever else you got to do to clean this up. And AJ refuses the gun, and he says, "I'm going to do this my way." So yeah. uh, it's it's really funny how 
Like I, mean, I actually took a note about this uh, right around this time where I said Jack's dad really can't wait to kill him. Yeah. Like well, from like from minute one of this movie, you get the feeling that his dad wants to kill him. Yeah, he's a very like, shrewd, actually murder him. He's a very I mean, he's like Uncle Junior in uh, Sopranos yeah. to a degree. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it's just really concerned about his protecting his interests and his business uh, and keeping his nose clean. Um, yeah. So AJ goes back to. Um, Carlos Bar, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. To kind of talk to Carlo and see what's going on. He leaves. And when he leaves, we see that the uh, that Martha and Abraham are outside staking out the bar in a police car. And um, after AJ leaves, they go. Uh, Martha goes on the inside and starts putting... Um, I think with Abraham, they start putting pressure on Carlo. And Carlo finally rats out on Jack that Jack was the one that shot the guy that he took the money. Uh, so they now have some evidence now to, to really get the ball rolling on their investigation. Right. They leave. And as they're leaving Vic and his weirdo female assistant drive by in a land Ro- a Range Rover. And all of a sudden the female assistant comes into the bar and she beats the shit out of Carlo and Vic comes in asks Carlo a bunch of questions about what happened and then they blow up the fucking bar killing Carlo and destroying everything in the bar after they duct taped Carlo's mom to a pole or no I'm no, sorry they duct taped Carlo. Carlo to a pole yeah Carlo and then the mom comes out and they just blow the whole place up just blow everybody up um by the way mm-hmm. just so that you know I uh, I, I figured out her name her name, this assassin that doesn't speak, her name is Irina. Irina, yes. They do mention her name a couple in times. In the movie. Do you want to know what else she's been in? Because that was her first movie. Uh, and she's done some interesting things. She's on Scream Queens. And she was in Dallas Buyers Club. Who was she in Scream Queens? Eva. I have to, uh, Crystal was a big fan of that. I'll have to ask her. Yeah, I haven't seen it, so I don't know if Eva's like a, a main character or not, but uh, she plays Eva on Scream Queens. Interesting. Um, yeah, so interesting that she's got this was her first role, and also yeah. that she's gotten work after this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, then, we then cut back to Jack's house. Pepper and AJ are kind of hanging out on the couch, and Pepper is having the uh, long-delayed conversation about you know, you know that this conversation was going to come. What what it was like when her parents were young and what it was like when AJ and Claire dated. Mm-hmm. While this is going on, Claire breaks away from their conversation and goes into another room and makes a suspicious phone call, Craig. Um, we then go the next morning. AJ has to go visit his parole officer. There's a there's a there's a part in that scene though that I think is important to mention. Let's let's uh, bring it up. What is when it? when Jack? Uh, sorry, when AJ and Pepper are talking and he's kind of telling her about her, you know her mom back in the day and, and Jack back in the day. Um, he kind of asks her like, you know, how is he as a dad and this and that, and she yes. says he's, she says you know he screws up here and there, but he really tries. Like he loves me. He really tries. He's a good dad. 
Right. She um, did. She says that. She said she genuinely loves him. She cares for him. Yeah, and, and that she knows that he's always trying his best to be there for her and and all that kind of stuff, and that she knows that he loves her a lot. And it seems like oh, okay, they have a pretty good relationship, even though he's like an alcoholic and a criminal and a fuck up. Like she knows that. Yeah, despite all that, he like really cares about her and does try to do things for her. Kind of, kind of um, like, kind of like Colin Farrell in uh, Finding Mr. Banks. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> kind of similar. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a hell of a parallel. Dude. <laughs> well, let's see. You know, we're making all these. Uh, I'll call them uh, long shot parallels with the heat <laughs> and now this one and finding Mr. Banks. Uh, but they're fair. They're fair comparisons, I think. Anyway, to a degree, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So AJ, like I said, has got to go do his parole officer visit. And while he's waiting in the waiting room to get called, uh, Martha, the tax lady, sits next to him. And Sardis just kind of starts, he's got no idea who she is. And she's like, oh, what are you in for? You know, what did you do? Um, Just making conversation. And then uh, AJ goes in and meets with his uh, parole officer. And then when he comes out, Abraham is there with the tax lady and they tell AJ about Carlo's death. And that they are about to make a move on Vic. And if uh, AJ helps them put Vic away, um, that AJ will, you know, go, get away scot-free. And I, was there, was there, was Jack part of this too? They wanted him to give up Jack, right? Yeah. As yeah, part of the deal with Vic. He, they would go easy on Jack too. Right. So there was some incentive there for AJ to, to kind of rat. Um, so AJ is now f- faced with a major decision. He's got to decide between uh, ratting out Jack and Vic or keeping his mouth shut and he's going back to jail. Because they told him that if he didn't if he didn't cooperate, they were going to pin Carlo's death on him and he'd be going back to, to prison. Yep. AJ then goes to visit Vic in jail. Um, and they have a pretty tense conversation. I don't remember what happened in that conversation. Craig, did you write any details? I wrote just... I just wrote down that he fucking visited him, and I didn't say anything about that conversation. I yeah, I didn't take anything, like, specifically out of that conversation between him and Joe, just for the fact that, like, he was going to, he told, he's basically saying, you got to, you need to go kill Jack. That's right. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, he like, tells if you him, don't kill him, I'm going to. Right. Uh, but this is also, too, uh, AJ gives him shit for blowing up Carlo, because he said, listen, I said I was going to clean this up my way, and you went in and under my nose and fucking killed Carlo. Like, it's just kind of fucked up. Um, yeah. So, AJ goes back to Claire's house. Claire tells AJ where Jack is hiding and that he's at her parents' cabin. And then they have a reminisce about, you know, I guess that's where they used to go knock boots in high school or whatever. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. Triple H kind of made a joke. They used, they, that's where they used to go. Right. And it, it, Triple H makes a joke about more or less like he used to rub one out in prison thinking about the cabin, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also creepy. <laughs> yes. A little bit. I forgot about it, that. Yeah, you're right. It, it does Cause it wasn't say like, I could basically see the cabin from the prison. I used to think about our times there and you're like, Oh yeah. But the way he delivered that line, it wasn't sexy. It wasn't romantic. It was just very matter of fact. It was just like, yes, no, I used to joke off like, uh, oh, to my memories. Just, like, look at it wistfully. And then I was like, and then you're like, Oh, no, that's not what he's saying at all. Oh, no. gross. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. It was a weird delivery. Yeah. Um, so Jack um, 
is we then cut back to uh, Claire's parents' cabin. Jack is there. He's kind of fucking around. Um, and AJ is on his way uh, up to the cabin. And he's being tailed on his way. AJ then pulls over uh, his car and beats the shit out of the tail. So he loses the tail. Steals their guns. And uh, they were Eastern European guys. So you know they were connected to Irina. Jack then writes... Uh, we go back to the cabin again. And we see Jack fucking around the cabin. He is then... He's now writing a confession letter to Claire. Basically saying how he fucked everything up. It's his responsibility. It's his fault. You know, it's not AJ had nothing to do with it. Blah, 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 blah. You know, his dad... His dad's involvement and everything. You know, it's like the smoking the smoking gun here for the, all the criminal activity that's gone on. Uh, and like I said, it's Jack writing it to Claire. Um, yeah, and what, you know what? Honestly, when... <laughs> And I know this is a little bit of foreshadowing, but my note was when he's, when you're hearing it read, it's another voiceover and he's reading this out loud. I'm like, what is he writing a suicide note? Yeah. You know, that's a good point, Craig, is it did kind of have, it did have the re- read of a suicide note to it. It had it that felt vibe. Like a suicide note. I was like, Oh God. Yeah. Like, where I didn't is pick, this movie going? I didn't pick up on it at that time. But now that you mention it, it really did kind of have a, a heavy suicide note vibe. Yeah, super, super vibe. So AJ finally gets to the cabin. He sees Jack there. Uh, Jack ends up pulling his gun on AJ because he knows that AJ is there to kill him. Even though AJ is not yeah. going to kill him. Um, he knows that Vic right. sent him He there. thinks that he, AJ is going to kill him. Right. Yeah. And he does the old, you know, bad boys fucking move. He shoots the gun yeah. in the air. And then says the line... I love the country because I guess <laughs> implying that you shoot a gun in the air and nobody hears it. Nobody gives a shit. Um, AJ tells. Yeah, exactly. Jack about the deal. Jack refuses. He's not going to go to prison for 13 years. He's not like AJ. He can't, he can't handle that level of jail time. He's not hard enough to do it. Um, AJ at this point now, Craig, this is the callback. Like you said, we were talking about pepper saying how much she loved her father. AJ tells Jack about that. And Jack is very moved to hear that Pepper loves him as much. And then this is, this is weird. All right. So this, yeah. this Craig, I know you, you've kind of been vocal about your criticisms of the film. I'm still holding, I'm keeping my cards close to the vest on this one yet. I'm not ready to reveal my thoughts on the movie, but this is a part where I, this was the first part of the movie where I genuinely was like confused. The way that they filmed this, I was kind of led to believe I didn't really know what was going on. We we're, we see Jack, uh, I'm sorry, we see AJ kind of sitting on, uh, overlooking the water outside of the cabin. We hear some gunshots, very ambiguous, but I think that they were implying that Jack had committed suicide. Oh, 100%. I yes. didn't think there was any question there. Yeah, AJ but it was... walks away and then Jack shoots himself in the head, but you just hear the gunshot off Yeah, I, I just, I didn't understand, like... I, I, I felt like it should have been clear because that's a pretty heavy thing. Like you said, he just wrote this confession letter, which in retrospect had a very heavily uh, suicide note vibe to it. And then you, you're not, you know, he shot the gun in the air and you know, AJ doesn't really want to kill him. Right. So maybe there, this could have been a scheme to keep him alive. I don't know. I just, I just feel like with the decisions that they start making with the end of this film, they should have been more, over, uh, more obvious about the fact that Jack killed himself. Um, and then we see AJ basically fucking wraps up Jack's body, throws him in the fucking car, 
and carries them to the doorstep of a funeral home, uh, which is fucking weird. Um, and the funeral home guy's yeah, like, that, "What?" Listen. Yeah, right. And the funeral home guy's like, "What the fuck are you doing? We're closed." And he says, "I'm with Vic." And and then the guy's immediately like, "Oh, no problem." And they take they take they take Jack's body. Um, and that was the kind of the moment where I was like, "Okay, I'm pretty sure that he killed himself." Um, luckily, it didn't make me think too too hard and long about that. That happened almost immediately right, after. Right. AJ then goes back and visited visits his mom. First time we kind of glossed over this. She was in a wheelchair. She was like on the balcony hanging out. She seemed like she was kind of mobile still with it. This visit, she's now like in a bed. She's like fucking straight up hospice bed. Not going doing good. She's coughing. Her voice is bad. You know she's kind of on her way out. Um, she talks about a Jack again. And she tells AJ that Jack was not strong like AJ. So again, kind of reinforcing the idea that there was no way that Jack was going to go to prison for 13 years. Yeah, it's weird though. She just like lays this horrible guilt trip on him. Like, go help him and be a criminal. Right. It was weird. And, and I'm again, like, what the it, fuck? Like, his mom sucks. It, like, she's in two scenes, one of which she's like sneaking booze into this hospital. And then the other one, she's just being a, like a loser. Like, I didn't, and, and dying. But like, while she's dying, she's like guilt tripping AJ into being a, a shittier person. And I'm like, what? Like, what is her point in this movie? Right. And clearly, AJ has very negative feelings about his mom. So it yeah, doesn't like her. No, just reinforces those feelings again. So, um, the tax lady also visiting her father in the hospice again. She's telling her father about the case that she's working on about all this with uh, Sylvester's murder and the tax evasion and the bootleg cigarettes and how Vic is involved and blah, 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 blah. Her father was former police, right? So, there's a whole storyline between Martha, the tax lady, in the sense that her whole family was police and she was the only one that went to the tax bureau and her father kind of gave her shit about it. So her right. telling telling him about this case is kind of like redemption for her uh, because she's kind of saying... Right, like, she's like, maybe I would have made a good cop. Right. Okay, so yeah. Craig, now we have a sort of laundry list of insane things that happen one after the other. So I'm just going to, I'm going to fire them off right away. Uh... AJ, after visiting his mom, goes back to Claire's house. So keep in mind, Jack just killed himself, and he's brought his dead body wrapped in a, in a sheet to a fucking funeral home and dropped him off. Claire yes. confesses to AJ that she was the rat. She was the one that gave the information to the to the, the tax bureau. Uh, she tells a story about how she went right. to, go, to go have her taxes done. And they found some improprieties, and then she, she got caught up. Right, in all they this basically shit. said, "We know you're doing something," and she saved her own ass because she had to take care of her kids. Right, so she was the one that was ratting uh, Jack and Vic out the whole time. Second crazy thing that happens: she tells AJ that Pepper is actually his daughter. <laughs> uh, yeah, which... she accidentally she messes up and says, "You know, I was scared and pregnant when you went to prison." So then, and he was like, "Wait, what?" You were pregnant when I left? Uh, so that's how they figure out that Pepper is his kid. That's right. So basically, Claire, probably what happened was is that Claire knew she was pregnant. He was going to jail. She probably fucking made some moves on Jack. And then she was like, fucking, it's your kid, buddy. Uh, even though it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
we are now at the point where so then uh, after this happens claire and aj fucking get it on man they are back back in the saddle uh they, they there's some kissing going on there, some uh, heavy petting, and uh, they are end up in bed, and we are now at the opening scene of the movie, where we see Triple yep. H with his long flowing, Samson like hair. Only point of the film, by the way, where his hair flows freely, um, not in a ponytail. Uh, his hair was in a ponytail for all of the chaperone. His hair was in a ponytail for all of this movie. Um, True. Except for in this scene where he he and Claire are laying in bed. Uh, Pepper is coming home from a sleepover at her friend's. She walks in the house and she sees AJ and Claire sleeping together. Now, this is okay, Craig. This is where I got the most fucking confused in this whole goddamn movie. I'm guessing there's no other plausible scenario here, but Claire has this realization that fucking after fucking uh, triple H slides it in he the next morning she's like you fucking shitbag my husband just killed himself you dropped him off at a fucking no, funeral home nope. and, and then I'm no. okay explain to me what it fucking she happened here cuz I got I couldn't get it she gets the call that he's dead right then okay i missed that i don't know i i believe that's what happens and i could be wrong but uh, the way I remember is that she gets a call that he's dead and she thinks that he, that Triple H killed him. Okay. So she... I think that's what happens. I think she thinks that he killed him and so then... And then he fucking slides it in and she's like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. So she shoots him. Shoots him in the gut. And that's another thing. Crystal's, Crystal's whole point was he's standing fucking five feet in front of her in a chair and she ends up shooting him in the gut. So... Mm-hmm. Um... Not, I just don't think that was clear enough, Craig. This is a, this is important shit in the to the plot of this movie. Yeah, it's and they not, did not, it's not fucking make this clear. No, it's not really spelled out, but that's what I think happens. And again, makes could be wrong, but that was that was how I took it. Was that she thinks that he killed Jack, and is now fury is now like, oh, you piece of garbage, and you so you killed Jack, and then you come here and you have sex with me. What are you nuts? And then she shoots him. Okay, that that makes more sense and clears things yeah, up. Yeah, that makes more sense than if Jack killed himself because I think I thought that she I thought that she said something when he walks in like something about Jack and he kind of did a little head nod, like a head shake, uh, which I thought meant to her like uh, he's not alive. That's like, what I thought too. I, I thought he was up front but about it when it he came back like to the she, house. Yeah, but something about it like when, after they wake up and Pepper's there. And, I feel like it dawns on her or she gets a call and she's like, and she thinks, oh, he's killed her. He killed him. That's how I took it. I just think that there's, this is an important part of the, right. you can't Either fuck way, this up. It you can't fuck have this been up. up to your like suggestion. Like, no, it should have been very clear. She'd been like, you killed him and then shot him. Instead. Right. Something like because that. Because he starts going, no, 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 that's not how it happened. Right. Like, so I think the way she, she's like, wait, what and he's like no no this isn't how it happened meaning to me that he thinks she's that he's trying to explain no i didn't kill him he killed himself but she doesn't listen he just she just shoots him right so he kind of passes out from the shot Mm -hmm. he wakes up sometime later uh claire and pepper are out they're fucking gone uh and and 
AJ wakes up to a knock at the door from a tax lady and Abraham at Claire's door. AJ is wounded. He's bleeding. Um, and Irina is in the house also. Um, right. Sneaking around while yeah, he's yeah. talking to them. He doesn't know it, but yeah, this is what's there. going on. She's fucking sneaking around. Um, while he's having the conversation with the tax investigator and Abraham, it comes out in the conversation that, that Claire was the rat. And I think uh, it, Martha, right, is her name? Martha and Abraham <clears throat> mentioned to Jack that she was the one that was giving them information and informing them. Right. So, and I, Irina, because she's in the house, hears this. So she now knows that she's got to fucking kill Claire because she's the one that brought the house of cards down. Um, right, so she leaves. Right. And so everybody's wondering, you know, where are Pepper and where are Claire? AJ is now uh, gets them to go away. He finds out that there's a fucking cop car staked out outside the house. He makes a call to 911 to get the tail out of the way. He's in bad shape. He fucking gets himself to the car with this fucking bullet wound in the stomach. And he starts driving up to the cabin. Um, and Irina, it appears, has fucking uh, to- uh, hidden away in the back of the station wagon that he's driving. It's his old station wagon car that he's got for right, the whole movie. Right. So he gets to Claire's, ca- Claire's parents' uh, cabin. Claire seems him and immediately seems like everything's fine. She's totally cool with him again. Um, which was also weird. Like there was no information. Yeah. I think she like realized at that point what had happened. And then now she felt bad that she got him. Well, she mentions, she mentions after the, after this point that she read the note that Jack wrote because it was there at the cabin. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. right. But when she sees triple H right away, she's like, everything's cool. Like, you know, she should have been like, I read the note. I, I understand, but she doesn't do that till later. Um, so Triple H and Claire reunited. He's hurt. Uh, you know, Claire calls nine one one to try and get him some medical assistance. While this is going on, Irina puts a bomb in the cabin. Triple H figures it out. He gets Claire and Pepper to to get away from the cabin so that they're not hurt. Um, and AJ and Irina have a face off. Like they have a fucking fight. It's like one of the only fights in this movie is between fucking AJ and Irina. Um, and then out of nowhere. Pepper fucking shoots and kills Irina. Now, we didn't mention this before. I felt like... Yeah, and it's Triple H beating up a woman. Right. Triple H beating up a woman and a child killing and murdering uh, a human adult woman to save Triple H's life. There There was a throwaway line early in the film, Craig, I don't know if you picked up on it, where Jack says that they gave her handgun training. Pepper had received significant amounts of, of yeah. marksmanship and handgun training and was proficient in the use yeah, of the handgun. Yeah, no, I did. He said that he's been taking her to the range. That, which is why she's able to put away Irina with no problem. Um, kind of fucked up, but... Yeah, and it was a really good shot, too. I actually wrote it down. I was like, Pepper's a damn good shot. <laughs> There's probably a college scholarship for marksmanship in that girl's future, um, oh, even yeah. though she's a she track star. In the Olympics. Well, she was also a track star, too, remember? That's true. She, she, she could do she, triathlon, the fucking Winter Olympics. I was gonna skiing, say shooting. She, yeah, I was gonna say she she's a she's might be a, a a biathlon candidate. Yeah, that's what I meant. See if she can ski. That's right. Uh, we are then taken to two weeks later. Jack is officially dead. So there's if you had any questions about whether Jack killed himself or whether he was dead, he's dead because they're visiting his grave. 
Pepper is very upset at the gravesite. Oh, uh, he's definitely dead. Yes. Um, and then we find out that fucking AJ kept the money. The end. <laughs> and he's with Claire and Pepper, uh, basically fulfilling his fucking role uh, as father. And we get a over we get a monologue at the end of the film from Michael Rappaport, basically saying like that he was um, he was kind of like a fill in while AJ was in prison, and he he had made peace with that and he was okay with that. And you know that's kind of the effect, right? When you say that's that's kind of the gist of his his monologue at the end of the film. Yeah, yeah, he's basically saying like I would have never had such a good life uh, like this on my own. So I uh, you know. I, I I was basically AJ's fill-in, and I got to taste a better life. And is that fair? Maybe not. Maybe it is. Should I be dead? I don't know, but I'm happy with what happened. So at the end of the day, for those of you that need a little bit more of a breakdown there, what he's saying is, is that he was such a fuck-up, the only way he would have been able to fucking have a decent life is having fucking triple h's sloppy seconds because he went to jail yeah basically that's i mean that's the fucking moral of the story kind of depressing when you think about it but again i guess if you know your life is that fucked up as it was as michael rapaport's you know he's just that much of a fuck up you can drink your problem you're a criminal your dad's a fucking crime lord who wants you dead at every fucking five seconds and this is all you got you know what i mean like that's it so kind of a heavy ending there and that's that. Like I said, and they fucking have the money, the $250,000. They still got it. And they're fucking going to go start a pickle business and live yeah, happily ever after. he puts all the money in the pickle jars. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Jack did that, right? He hid it in the pickle jars. So that is Inside Out, everybody. I so, I just, okay. I, I, I want to hear your, I mean, I've been very vocal about my opinions of this movie. Um, so I will be very quick about what I think. I mean... I think the movie sucks, and here's why. I think for the majority of the movie, you kind of want Jack to get killed because he's just he's 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 an annoying screw up, but he's not the lovable annoying screw up. Right. He's like the annoying screw up who's constantly trying to drag his friend down with him. Which is basically uh, Michael Rappaport's character in every movie. Is he's not lovable. He's always like right. a fuck up that's trying to bring other people down. It's it's yeah. I, I get, and then, so you're basically yeah. rooting for the dad to go to jail, for Jack to die. So it's making you t- it's making you root for someone's father to be killed and Triple H to take his place, when the guy wasn't a bad dad. Like if that was the way you wanted to do it, then make him be like a shitty father. But he's not. The girl loves him. She's even said it. Right. So like it's one of the things where like I feel shitty rooting for anybody in this movie. It's not very fun. There's just there's not like a lot of redeeming qualities about it anywhere. Right, whereas the chaperone kind of had a lot of those light moments. It was there was some humor there. Um, right, the the chaperone was fun. Right, and it was this like a movie. redemption story for a guy who was like doing the right thing and trying to win his daughter back. This was like, yes, he's trying to get back to where he should be with his wife and his daughter, but like everybody else has to like die and go to prison. Right, and also he doesn't even know that he that's what he's striving for. You know what I mean? Mm. Because his his friend is married to his ex girlfriend, and he thinks that his friend is the father of the girl. So I mean, what he's really just striving to live a legitimate life, making pickles, and then all this other shit falls in his lap because his friend dies. Yeah, it was just weird. It was just strange. So I, I get it. So I, I understand your criticisms, Craig. Uh, you know, I know sometimes you 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 don't you and I don't have 
the same opinions on these films. Uh, but this is one time where I fucking totally see where you're coming from. Uh, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this movie had me up until the fucking moment when uh, Triple H wakes up and gets shot by Parker Posey. So that's like 90% of the movie. I was on board for like 90% of this movie. I liked it. I thought the performances were good. Another great job by Triple H. I thought uh, I thought he maybe did better in The Chaperone, but I still thought it was still a, another good performance from him. Everybody I thought was good. Bruce Dern, Michael Rappaport, Parker Posey, even the girl, little girl Pepper was good. Abraham and Martha, the tax people and the police. Everybody brought their A game, I thought. And it's just like the ending fell victim to either sloppy writing, sloppy editing, or something. I don't know. If they had just tightened that editing up a lot more, I think we would have had a, a solid film. Um, but I think that ending, again, you know, I don't know if you'd feel that same I way. I don't know. I mean, the end, I mean, I, I agree with you. The end's crazy and bananas and not really fulfilling in any way. Um, but, like, up until that point, it's just up until the point where she gets shot. At, or he gets shot at that point it's just a bummer of a movie where everyone's kind of a jerk besides pepper like like aj's not a jerk but he's also like still like and i don't blame him for still being in love with uh what's her face for sure there. right but like he's definitely like in his own way making very subtle moves at her even though he's not outwardly being like hey come back to me he's he's controlling himself but he's definitely like definitely wants to be with her and st- take her back from his friend who's like he's also say tells him he doesn't care it's like you know he's glad that he had her um but it was just weird like it's just you don't really like anybody in this movie honestly yeah it's true nobody's really lovable because you have claire she's a rat and who only gives a shit about herself and her daughter like I mean, claire's again. okay but yeah she's not great and like triple h should have been they should have made him like more a lot more likable of a character but right. he's just kind of like okay you know what this? You know what this this movie needed? It needed like in the chaperone when they go to the fucking museum and he leads everybody yes. on that dinosaur tour. This movie needed a scene like that where kind of everybody. Well, they tried. Fall- to, they tried. They tried to do it with the with the pickle scene where in he's the kitchen. Her right. how to make but it pickles. wasn't. It wasn't as big of a moment as. No. As yeah. It was just. It was quick and it wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't like it was just like maybe they felt like oh you're just like he's the guy you're rooting for so that's the guy. But, like, to me, it just didn't feel like enough, I guess. That's fine. I mean, I'll give this movie, like, a solid two and a half out of five stars. Um, sure. Uh, and only... was, like, I wasn't mad that I watched it, but it wasn't good by any stretch. And I would probably give it another half star or maybe even a full star if the ending had been tighter and just more cohesive and not sloppy. It was a sloppy ending. And like I said, I would like yeah. to know if it's the script's fault or if it was the editor's fault. I, I think, know. yeah, I think it must have been a, a pretty bad script because I even wrote down that it was, like, badly acted. There's, like, scenes with Parker Posey, who is a fantastic actress, where she's, like, like trying to be uh, poignant and emotional. And even that, it just, not, it just feels, like, very stiff. And I don't think it's her. I think it's the 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 script i think it's the movie sure like nobody like michael rapaport like if you're if there's a whole movie where it feels like michael rapaport acted badly parker posey acted badly i don't believe that it's the two of them it's got to be either the director or the or the script because they're both excellent actresses actors and actresses i've never seen them do anything that's like that bad and this felt bad like it didn't feel like they were acting well which to me means that something else was going on 
Well, I would love to know the behind the scenes on this. Uh, first of all, how did this cast get put together? Who, you know, what favors got called in to make this happen? Like I said, I think Parker Posey lost a bet on the set of Blade Trinity. Was what year was Blade Trinity again? Um, it was definitely before this. And Triple H uh, was in that also, right? Yeah, which right, is so... yeah, which is something there that uh, I mean, it had to have happened. Something had to happen there, but I don't know what. Uh, let me see. Blade Trinity was 2004. Oh yeah, so well before. That's, yeah, seven, so that's been, a seven-year seven-year gap. That's a that's a big gap. Yeah, so they've been friendly for a while. So somebody probably said, "Listen, we need a female in this in this movie." Triple H and Parker Posey were in Blade Trinity. They're decent together. I mean, I don't even remember if they interacted because she yeah she was part of the vampire crew and Blade yeah Trinity. he was like her he was like her servant basically yeah right he was so like one of her bodyguards so that's the thing somebody said listen they had good chemistry in Blade Trinity she probably was available and they made it happen. Um, and then because she was involved, I bet you that's how Michael Rappaport and and Bruce Dern got involved because you know she's like an indie darling to some degree. Yeah, especially at that time in that kind of early two thousands to two thousand ten period, she was you know was doing a lot of strong indie performances. Um, but still, I don't know. Like I said, I, there's I'd love to know, see like a behind the scenes on this, like a director's commentary, something. I'd love to know the fucking story behind this uh, because to me it's fascinating. Um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, how did this get made? Every they do movies, they get like the oral histories that the slash film rights. I'd love to see an oral history on this fo- on this film, uh, because I'm fascinated by it. So yeah, there's yeah, I, I would love some some extra background on it because there's just something had to go wrong. Like they get all these people, and you know what? I'll I'll be up there. I think Triple H is a pretty decent actor. Like most of the stuff that I've ever seen of him, like non WWE movies. Like Blade Trinity or The Chaperone or other things that I've seen him in, he does a good job for a non-actor. You know what I mean? Like he's good for a non-actor. So even like just all of them together could have done something pretty good, I think. And this just wasn't there. I agree. Okay, so let's move on to some trivia, Craig, because I think there's some trivia here that are is might be interesting to you. I don't know, depending on your grasp okay. of '80s television. So okay. Um, this was filmed in Jefferson Parish. Again, this is where Steven Seagal is a fucking cop. Um, and oh, this is, nice. This, yeah. this is where um, the chaperone was filled, I think. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, a lot of, of the places look semi-similar, yeah. So the director of this movie is a guy by the name of Artie Mandelberg. And Artie doesn't have too many credits that really are too notable. However... He was a, a one of the producers for Moonlighting, and he directed a lot of episodes of Moonlighting, Moonlighting. and also a bunch of other television as well. So Moonlighting, Craig, are you familiar with Moonlighting? I don't. I remember Moonlighting. I know my parents like Moonlighting. I don't remember watching it a ton. Okay, so Moonlighting was Bruce Willis and I think Sybil Shepherd, and it was yeah. a, it was he was a detective. And she was like, I don't think she was a detective. I think she was like kind of like the straight man. And they yeah. would go on, um, she would help him with his, his cases. And it was like a will they, won't they end up together kind of thing. And to the point where when the X-Files came out, Craig, they called the X-Files Moonlighting with Aliens. So Right, yeah. No, Moonlighting was huge. And my parents were very big Bruce Willis fans. So I remember that 
that they were they would watch that for sure. So this guy had a hand in moonlighting. So again, if there's a if there's somebody that knows how to handle drama and relationships and like sexual tension, this guy should be fucking able to pull that off. And there was none of that between Triple H and, and Parker Posey in this film. Also, he also directed Too Legit to Quit, the MC Hammer story. Which is a the music for- video? No, no, I'm sorry. Too Legit, the MC Hammer story, which is a made-for-TV movie chronicling the rise and fall of MC Hammer. Wow. I think it was on VH, VH1. I, I've, I, know, that. I've, no, I've seen it. So. I might have to check that out. Okay. Um, finally, the final piece of trivia I want to mention. The writer for this movie only has two writing credits. One of them is this film. The other one is a movie called Bending the Rules, which stars Edge, WWE's Edge, and Jamie Kennedy. Wait, what? Yes. I don't know if this is a WWE Studios movie or not, but there is a movie starring Edge and Jamie Kennedy, and it's called Bending the Rules, and the guy that wrote this fucking movie wrote that movie as well. Oh, man. So you know that that's got to be a fucking shit fest. So there you go, Craig. That's Inside Out. I think we can uh, close the book on that. And I'm pretty sure that this is the last official WWE Studios film starring Triple H. Um, so this, this I think, will close, close, put a pin in the Triple H saga. Uh, obviously, we may decide to do a film that he's in that's outside of WWE Studios canon. Um but this, uh, we could be, I think we're putting them to rest here, Craig. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. All right. So before we go, Craig, I think we, we, we have a big announcement um, for our next two episodes. So uh, we are going to break tradition and we are going to our next two films. Craig and I have put our heads together and we've thought about this long and hard. And we are going to do. Two non-WWE Studios movies. Yeah. Okay. The first one that we're going to do... I don't, I don't remember the order that we're doing them in, Craig. But so the first one that I'll announce is a film uh, that I discovered a couple years ago starring Rob Van Dam, <laughs> Batista, and Ja Rule in a movie called Wrong Side of Town. I love Ja Rule. I'm very excited for this movie. I'm I'm a huge fan of this film. Like I'm gonna come up front and say it. I've seen this movie before. I've watched it one time. I fucking loved every goddamn second of it. Uh because it is just fucking batshit crazy. I hope you love it as much as I do. I I, I have a feeling I'm going to based on what little I've heard about it from you and, and some friends and also the fact that I just think Ja Rule is a maniac in everything and I I just think it's funny. Right. Um, so I will probably enjoy enjoy this a lot. I'm hoping. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So that is. Uh, also keep in mind, Batista, fucking Guardians of the Galaxy, Batista, Spectre, Batista. Uh, this is one of his first movie roles he's ever done, and now has gone on to great fucking success. So um, this will be interesting for all for us to to look at Batista 
in this kind of early acting day and see what it's like. Um, not knowing what he's gone on to do. Uh, bigger and better things, obviously. So that is the first film that we're going to be doing. The second film is a film that has been a favorite of mine since I was a child. Craig, I don't know if you have any exposure to this film. Uh, but this is a film I hold very dear to my heart uh, for a lot of reasons. And the film is called Body Slam. And it was from, I think it's 1984 or 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars the guy who was fucking face, played face on the A-team. I don't know what that guy's name is. Dirk Benedict, I think his name is. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a big A-team fan. It's him and Rowdy Roddy Piper is in this movie um, as well. I am super excited for both of these movies, to be honest. But Body Slam, I feel like it's something that I should have seen. And I don't know how I never did. And maybe I watched it as a kid and I don't remember, so when we pop it on, I'll, I'll remember it again. But I am ex- super excited for this one. So Body Slam air, was aired a lot on fucking HBO when we were kids, Craig. It was one of yeah. those movies that would be on HBO. I don't remember it ever getting like a formal VHS release. Uh, it never got a formal DVD release. Although you can buy it on Amazon in Amazon's manufactured on-demand program. So it's only they only make a DVD of it when somebody orders it. Um, and I have a copy of it and it's actually shitty. Like I can't, like my DVD player won't read the disc correctly. Um, so I had to actually track down a couple of, uh, bootleg copies of this film. Um, I don't know how our friends are, our friends and fans are going to watch this movie because it was available for rent officially on YouTube. I don't know where to get it now. Um. So just see what you can do, guys. Uh, go out there and Google Body Slam, Rowdy Roddy Piper, the film, and see if you can track it down. Um, but it is uh, everything in everything 80s, everything wrestling, everything rock and roll that you would want from a movie made at this time. And also now that we've lost Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, you know that was a oh, big, that was a big blow for me, Craig. Uh, you know Rowdy Roddy Piper. You know, probably one, definitely top three for me of all time. Um, huge, huge impact on me. Made incredible films. They Live is another one. I hope that one day we can do They Live. Um, oh, that's such a good movie. Yeah, and he, I just taken too soon from us. So this is an opportunity. The day that he passed away, I fucking watched this movie again because it's it's just it's just a movie I've seen a million times and it never gets old and I fucking love every second of it. Uh, so I'm really excited for you to Craig for you Craig to see it, and hopefully it's one that you've seen before, and this will be a nice trip down memory lane for you. If it's not, if it's a, a film you've never seen before, I am. Yeah, I I'm. I'm really excited for this one. Yeah. So, two films again, a very diametrically uh, op- opposing films. You have one 80s 80s comedy romp, and then you have this kind of. Uh, this early 2010, and I'll be upfront about it. Wrong side of town, Craig. It's basically a ripoff of the Warriors. So if you like the Warriors, uh, you will notice some parallels between the plot of Wrong Side of Town and the Warriors. That sounds great. Yes. Um, no baseball themed gang though. <laughs> so just so you know. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing, and I'd also like to announce that we are going to have a very special guest with us for those two episodes. The patron saint of our podcast, Frank Congelos, will be joining us. I'm excited for that, us. too. 
So uh, this is going to be next two episodes are going to be huge, exciting. I can't wait. Um, and I'm looking forward to recording them and sharing them with everybody, Craig, and also being with you and Frank while we do it as well. So I'm going to say uh, once again, we still have no catchphrase for this podcast. And thank you all for tuning in. And we will see you in two weeks with our very special episodes, Wrong Side of Town or Body Slam. I don't know which one we'll do first, but we're looking forward to it. Thanks again. Bye.